So we are halfway through the year in 2021. And one thing we like to do on the show is bring you insights about what's happening in the market and how that applies to your marketing as a manufacturer or an individual in the building product space. In today's show, we bring on a guest we've had on before who's going to talk to us about the economy, what's changing within building products and demand, and how that's going to impact your marketing and sales and the future of the industry. It's a fascinating show. And if you stay till the end, he's also going to share an interesting hybrid of what he believes is going to happen between the pro and the homeowner and how that's going to impact you as well. With that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside Beth Popnikolov, and we've got an awesome show lined up for you today. You know, one thing we do on Smarter Building Materials Marketing is we like to bring you insights about what's happening in the market, what are trends that are happening from a, a sales and marketing perspective. But today we're going to give a little bit of a, a halfway point into 2021 update into what's happening in housing, construction, what does the future of the economy hold? And we have one of our favorite guests back on the show today. Who better than to talk to us about where we are, how we got here, and where we're going than Todd Tomalak. He joins us from the John Burns Real Estate Consulting Group. We are so excited to have him back. He always brings a ton of data, a ton of insights, and we're going to try really hard to stay on topic, you guys, but we basically just have a thousand questions and a thousand things we like to talk about with Todd. So Todd, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's fun to be with you, and I appreciate the invite. It's good to have you back. Todd, let's talk about the pulse. Let's talk about the update. We know that you guys keep a really close eye on how things are going and you did some great projections at the beginning of the year, but I understand you just took a relook at your projections and assumptions and have actually some really interesting updates for us. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's there's kind of several different narratives going on. We're very positive on housing. And just to give you a sense, we're thinking around 17% growth in single family starts this year. A positive, lower growth, 3% multifamily, but we're looking at a couple of years of successive double-digit growth. That's despite potential headwinds in mortgage rates. We have that baked in. That's despite kind of other issues with material cost. And, and candidly, I think that the industry is generally over-handicapping what they think is going to happen next year and going forward. On home improvement, I can tell you for major tarot remodels, we could hit 40 to 50% cumulative growth between now and you know, 2024, 2025. And I think we really will hit that. So yeah, quite exciting. Lots of good things going on. So Todd, I want to ask you a question about an article I just saw from CNBC. The title of this article is Home Construction Sees Biggest Drop Since Pandemic Hit. Here's why. And this was released in the last month or so. When I saw this, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, and I immediately went and read it because I, you know, it's different than what I've been reading. And it's funny when we were prepping for today's show, you like brought up this article because, and not to, not to dig at anybody, but some of the data that you're seeing is contrary to this. And I'd love to hear your perspective of, is this true? Is this false? Or is it only half truth? <laughs> yeah, I think the narrative there, I mean, so, so we think the narrative is wrong. Clearly starts did dip down for the month, but it's the how come that uh, I, I take issue with, you know, the, the headline, how come that we're hearing, which I disagree with is that while well, lumber has gone up so much, which you guys had a fantastic podcast on, on that topic, clearly it's really important right now. 
But lumber has gone up so much and materials have gone so much that the cost of increases and now builders are, are holding off from starting. And that's nonsense. That's not, that's not what's going on. Uh, at least we don't think so. So uh, here, here's what we know. So we survey about 20 to 25% of all new homes sold every month. So we have the earliest read on like backlog, sales, starts, all those things. And the story that we're seeing is that the backlog is it's the opposite. It's incredibly strong. So to give you a sense, I got the numbers right here. Now, April, admittedly, we're comping versus COVID, but April sales from the big production builders were up 91%. Wow. They were up 60 to 70% though for the prior six months. We've, we've seen this big backlog. It's just that the builders have nothing to sell. So I've got builders in our survey. They're telling us like, ignore our sales numbers and our starts numbers for the next couple of months because we've got nothing to sell. We've sold out of our land. They're going to look wonky, just heads up. And sure enough, they're down 12% in community count, you know, overall publics and privates today because they sold out of their land. So I think we're in a soft spot right now where they've sold out of everything that they have from a community standpoint. They're tripling down on land investment, but it takes time for those communities to show up. They tell us we'll be up 9% in community count by the end of the year. So we're kind of in this dip where they've sold out of everything. There's a backlog and it looks like a slowdown in starts because you can't start what you don't have land for, but it's being written up because of something that's totally unrelated. Lumber is important. That's not what was behind the spring de- decline, though. It's it's going to get more positive from here. So when do they expect to start to see it go back up? Sorry. Yeah, so so uh, prices, or w- when do we see volume to go back yeah. up? You said by um, the end of the year, they're going to be up 9%, but where do we start to see that uptick come out of the soft spot? I think we're looking at the alleyway of when things begin to increase between now and now and then. And, and, and you know, there's some, some shifts that are happening in the type of communities that are being built that are going to cause a much faster, we, we think, a pace of building material usage too, which will look like for some of the BP companies, you know, by year end, much faster revenue growth than I think than, than they would take if they were just looking at what the single family starts print was last month, which is the number that you're referencing. And here, here's what I mean. So they tell us 9% more communities by year end than where we're at today. So They've got the backlog. There's not a question of if they're going to start the home once the communities are there. So, so uh, we start 9% higher at the end of the year. But a lot of these communities are further out of town, larger, higher density, entry-level communities, maybe skewed that way. And they're guiding, I mean, some of this is public information. They're guiding at, you know, instead of normally three and a half homes a month per community, four, four and a half homes per month per community, that's a 25 to 30% lift in how many you know truckloads of stuff, materials, products have to go in on a flow basis per and by the end of the year. Um, so will they be able to do that? Will there be labor? There's all these other questions, but that is such a different story than the builders have the demand and they're not going to start it because of lumber. That's the wrong conclusion. So it's going to be the opposite. We could actually see another squeeze by the end of the year if that pace of construction, you know, velocity were to happen, just because uh, it's going to be another issue of accelerating starts. What about pricing? And we've talked a lot about how expensive homes have increased too. Like, what was it? We're in double digit increase over the year over year in terms of the cost of a home to home buyer. Yeah. Do you foresee that softening a bit or do you think that it will continue to increase? Probably not at that same rate, but like, are you, cons- are you seeing that? Because a lot of people are talking about how the affordability of homes, even though rates are low and we're looking at that monthly cost, is still relatively affordable. 
Are we going to reach a breaking point on this, Todd? Do you have an opinion on that? Well, let, let, let me kind of split that into two different questions. So, so let's talk pricing, okay. what we think is going to happen. And then, and then we can go down the affordability path. So we have a graph in our report that compares our, our pricing forecast to every other forecast that we, that we know of. And we are at the far end in terms of we are the definitely the most bullish in terms of home price appreciation, both new and resale, new appreciating a little bit faster than resale right now. But we should be thinking double digit home price appreciation. By the way, we said this eight months ago too. Consensus in Wall Street, like if you go to the journal, pull, pull together, like what consensus forecast is for home price appreciation is like three and a half percent. That's impossible because we're at double Not digits just. today, right? So I just think it's, this is an issue that people are still digesting what, what's really happening already. The pace is going to slow down in future years just because you can't, you know, grow at double digit paces for infinity. But we have mortgage rates creeping up towards 4% by 2024. And we have prices going up. There will be some squeezed out. If we look at individual markets where things have become permanently more expensive, the Bay Area, there's a lot of other markets, kind of their secondary tertiary markets that could go up pretty significantly and at the margin are still relatively affordable versus the, these other places. So it's a little bit of a resort out that we could see. We're very positive on price appreciation, which obviously is great for remodeling too. Well, what would throw a wrench in that? Like, is there anything you're looking at going, hey, this would disrupt that projection yeah. outside of another pandemic? Like, <laughs> is there anything that would cause that to change in your, in your mind? Like, hey, everything is looking like demand's going to continue to go up. Pricing is going up. Construction is going up. Is there anything that would throw a wrench in any of that? Yeah, a, a couple things. Let's, let's just talk inflation for a minute. That now we're not, we're not calling for the sky to fall. We think that we will clearly see we are seeing reasonably strong inflation right now, but we think those some some of those things will improve two years out from now versus where we're at right now. But but suppose that's wrong, and suddenly we saw pretty rampant inflation, which led to significantly higher mortgage rates. And by significant, I mean fifty basis points more, seventy five basis points more. The impact to affordability from a fifty to seventy five basis point rate hike overnight, like if it just happened tomorrow would be about the same impact that happened in the 70s as when we saw mm -hmm. inflation going on, home prices led the charge there. And then, you know, the Fed cranked rates up in basis points terms, they cranked it up much higher, but in payment terms of what it did to consumers. Yeah. If you saw a 75 basis point rate hike, that would be something that would cause us to take, take that real seriously. Right now, we've seen risk-free rates basically go deep into the negative and, and bond investors are much more willing to, 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 to buy a, a anything that smells like a mortgage than other types of securities right now. The spread between the 10-year and the 30-year uh, mortgage is tighter than it normally is. So we're not seeing that right now, but that, that's one of the things we're watching for sure. And then the other thing would be, there is kind of a story of people are going to want to go to Disney and they're gonna, they can't wait to go eat out. They're calling this revenge spending. I'm doing some of this myself too. It's a great um, way to say but, it. Uh, revenge yeah, spending. Yeah, I, th I think in the second half of this year, we basically have underwritten in our home improvement forecast, there's going to be parts of the market that are going to be in the red. They're going to be negative year over year because of the ridiculous comp and people are spending on, as they should, Disney and other, you know, other opportunities. But that's basically focused on the smaller, minor update projects, we think and the large major tarot projects and more kind of the mid-range home improvement will continue to be strong. A lot of those issues are, are, are more, more positive and structural. So, but those, those are the issues that we're worried about. So Todd, as we think about manufacturers, because we know the majority of our listeners are manufacturers, 
There's so many things at play right now causing, you know, we've got lumber prices, we've got home starts, we've got post pandemic. Now we have revenge spending, which is exactly how I would quantify the things that have been happening on my Amazon wish list. Makes a lot of sense to me. So let me ask you this. If as a manufacturer, what do I need to know? Like this changed, that changed, everything's up, everything's down, everything's terrible, everything's great. There's a lot of consideration. <laughs> I'm serious. It depends on. You know, like there's a lot of. I'm laughing because it's funny. It's like everything's terrible, everything's right. great. Like that's like the world. That's the that's world, the we, world live right that we live in. Yeah, for for hopefully not forever, but certainly for right now. Yeah. I'm I'm ready for like some really. Does anybody miss being bored? When's the last time you were bored? Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. What do I need to know as a manufacturer? I mean, we're hearing from lots of manufacturers that obviously supply chain is an issue. Even frankly, demand is an issue, which is a great problem to have, but frankly, a problem nonetheless. What do I need to know and, and how can I get the most out of what's going on right now? Yeah, if I was a manufacturer, I'd be spending 70% of my time thinking about kind of the next year ahead. Those homes that I mentioned that are going to be built in these you know newer communities have very different product usage than the homes that were built in 2019 and 2020. Now, some things will be the same. They'll still install toilets and floors and all those things. But things like uh, outdoor patio usage, stone, I can go to case studies in our own data where it might be 65% more usage right, per, per acre of development or something like that. So getting arms around kind of just what those shifts are going to be is going to be really important. On the home improvement side, I don't see manufacturers do this enough. They get really focused on their category. But I think they need to understand their basket, meaning, you know, is this a product that you're just buying one thing and it's $1,000? Because that probably will behave really, really different than a product that's spiderwebbed and there's eight other products and probably four of them you don't have any relationship with. It's something else entirely, but you're part of that broader basket. Because one of the things that we think is going to happen is the kind of the mid to, you know, major tarot projects. A lot of those have been delayed. Zach, you've done some really interesting work showing that there's a lot of disruption that's kind of happening in the type of products that they're shopping for. We think there's we're kind of just getting started down that path. And I think that will that will get much more competitive. Supply chains are going to clear up. The Suez Canal is not still blocked, right? There's going to be other things that we're going to see ports begin to open. Like that's just how productivity works. 18 months from now, 24 months from now, even if prices are high it will be easier to get products. So then it's going to be more of a question of how much ground did I gain or lose versus some of these alternatives. And candidly, there's a lot of structural shifts that are happening within housing that if you're too focused on just your product category, it, it could cause all sorts of problems. And I'll, I mean, let me let me just pick on, so what do, you, what do you guys think of the new Ford Lightning electric truck? Did you, have you seen that come out? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are you buying one? Very interesting. Uh, no, you know, I, I have a deposit on the Tesla and we debated and I, I don't even know if I'm going to take it or not, but I'm very interested in kind of the electrification of, and there is value to having a pickup too. So one of the things that, you know, we, we think about a lot is, so just suppose you believe the theme that electrification of auto is really going to happen. Well, that means that, you know, the other parts of the home, like where they power from, battery backup generators, but then also potentially heating systems, other type of appliances, all these new kind of potential players get involved. There's different products and relationships that are in that spider web that you didn't have to think about before if you just sold like an HVAC system 
that you might care about five years from now if you're investing in this major other part of your home. So I think it's going to get a lot more interesting once we're through kind of this supply chain nightmare and that's no longer the narrative. Well, I think if you look at Tesla, for example, they do have their roofing product. I know a lot of people don't know about this. They have, the, they have their solar panel uh, roofing shingles. You no longer can buy those shingles without buying their power hub as well. Do you know that? Like they won't allow you to do it, which for our listeners, what that power hub does is if like your power goes out, it'll power your house, that kind of thing. And I think you're absolutely right. It's like the, the sustainability push is really becoming real. But I think from a macro perspective, Todd, what you're talking about is that I think there's two shifts that have happened. It's, it's the products that we want are changing. Like you mentioned patio, like the manufacturers we talked to that are in that space are like absolutely boomed. I mean, out of all the building product categories last year, outdoor space did exponentially better, better than anybody besides maybe paint. And the second thing, in addition to products we want, the second thing is how we want it. It's like the ease of use, the ease of purchase, the friction that's tied to that. Like I think if manufacturers can think about not just the fact that like, how do I improve supply chain right now, but how do I improve the experience to deliver that supply chain is who's going to come out of this thing winning because that's the shift that's happened we've all moved this. And this is something we preach a lot about the adoption of e-commerce, the adoption of, of less friction has really been accelerated because of the pandemic. Cause we're all are like, we've been pressured. If you're a manufacturer and you can remove that pain, we really believe that that's where there's margin to be had. You know, can we, can we blow up something right now? And that's, that's the, there is an executive in a building products company today that's saying, yeah, but for my product category, people really like to touch it and be it in the showroom. And, and, and I get it, but mm-hmm. have you seen the percentages of how many whole homes are being bought sight unseen? Entire houses. Oh, that's, that's absurd. That's a much more major absurd. purchase than buying flooring. I'm sorry. Than, or anything like, yeah, a- absolutely. It's a matter of packaging. If we're willing to buy a $100,000 car or a $300,000 home sight unseen, we will also do it online if you provide the right framework to do it. For sure. Oh, I bought a, I bought a deck recently all online. Did I tell you that? So we're, we're refinishing our deck. We're putting composite decking on there. I bought all of it through decksdirect.com. It's like a, they're like a decking reseller. I sent them my deck plans. They said, here's all the product you need. Yeah. And they just shipped it out. I didn't see any of the product. I didn't touch it. I saw colors online. I was like, great. They took care of everything. And I think that's like that, that convenience. Mm-hmm. Like I compared that to like Home Depot. Home Depot, I had to like figure out all of the products. I needed to like to figure out all the fasteners, how many I needed. Dex directed everything. And I know that's like a small micro little cosm of this. But I think the more manufacturers that can adopt this, the more successful they're going to be, which is that customer service, ease of use is really where product is going to go. It's less about the product and more about the experience. And Amazon has proven that. If you've got 10,000 reviews on Amazon that are all positive, people are like, I I don't care if I never heard of your brand, I'm going to buy it. You know? And the same is true for manufacturers. If you've got easy purchase process, really easy transparency around pricing and around availability and customer experience and customer reviews, it's, it's a no-brainer because that's what people want. I mean, we talk a lot, Zach, about like the person who gets the closest to the customer wins. We talk a lot about wins. all of the different categories that have been disrupted, like Netflix disrupted Blockbuster, Casper, and now there's like a Casper's not even cool anymore. But like, you know, Casper disrupted the mattress industry. Like we talk about all of these things all the time. And it's, I don't want to be, I don't mean to be negative or derogatory, but it, frankly, I think it's silly to consider to say out loud, if my product was available online, nobody would buy it. 
I remember really clearly, like, I think it was like 2002, 2004, they were talking about whether or not online shopping was going to become a thing. It was like on the news, talking about around Christmas time, they were like, this is it. This is the make or break year. Online shopping has been a thing for three years now. Like people just want to be in malls. And there was just a longer uptick than what, than the time frame they had given it. People were like, you're never gonna buy pants online. That's crazy. You have to try pants on. And now we're like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the mall? Like the mall is far. Yeah. It's a complete flip-flop, right? Like I can't think off the top of my head and I'm totally speaking off the cuff. So I'm sure somebody will write in and tell me all the ways that I'm wrong for what I'm about to say. But like, what are the never. things that have gone? No, not me. I'm never wrong. Uh, what are the categories that have gone online that have just totally flopped? Because people are like, no, I'm not doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like you bought a car online. I bought a car online from another country. Mm -hmm. Like if it's yeah. available online, had somebody walk through it, like on FaceTime, I was like, yeah, that looks great. Was genuinely considered buying a house on with the exact same process. If you make it available, if you reduce the friction, people will do it. And we're so used to buying, like we've been stair-stepped into these bigger investments, bigger categories, it genuinely just makes sense for building materials products and e like Todd, even like you said, like houses to be available as well. Yeah, which we're definitely seeing. Okay, no, no, here's, here's the contrary point that, that I'm so wrapping my head around. Uh, so when I look at like physical foot traffic data of people going into malls, let's pick on malls for a second, of people going into malls, okay. it's up 15 to 20% where it was versus 2019 today. Do you think that's part of your revenge spending? It is. Right. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Different. I would totally agree. Let me ask you this, Todd, in terms of, you know, building products in the construction industry as a whole, where do you think we'll see the biggest shift over the next five years? And granted, you're talking about, you know, demand is going to be high. And we're talking a little about, you know, the experience of, of people purchasing, whether that's the pro, you know, or even a homeowner. What do you think is going to be the biggest change that we see that manufacturers should be aware of? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a category that I think, I'm going to get flack for this for sure, but I think, it's, I think it's right. Let's talk about DIY for a minute. So we can go look at the data and like per capita, per house. DIY has been declining for several decades now. I think the Sherwin-Williams CFO a couple of years ago was on record in the journal making a comment that DIY was dead. And that was that. Yeah, obviously they're talking about that part of the business. But I think the single biggest shift with the most runway that people are overly discounting is that DIY part of the market has fallen so low per homeowner that now if you believe that pro labor is very, very tight and you believe it's difficult to get certain products and you believe that consumers and, and, and manufacturers are generally able to transact easier because there's things like online learning and YouTube and, and ways to buy the product that you couldn't easily do 15 years ago. And by the way, we have a young generation of first-time buyers who can't afford to hire a pro for everything. Even a marginal increase in the rate of DIY in incidents to something like like half of what it was in the during the the housing boom or a fraction of what it was when the boomers were buying homes in the '90s, that could drive a 20 to 40 percent increase in overall levels of DIY spending over the next few years. I don't see anyone building that into their forecast, but that's going to matter a lot. And and but and the theme that we're thinking is we just published this last week uh, in our new forecast. We think the theme is that pro remodeling, every time we say this about DIY, we, we catch grief because people are like, no, pro remodeling is going to continue to grow. 
yes, we agree. We think program modeling is going to continue to grow hand over fist, but people are going to do a hybrid project where it's a program model, but they will do a DIY for a portion of the project because it's so expensive and so difficult to get the project done that basically we're going to see a mini DIY project attach itself to the program model. And if they're going to do a new kitchen, they'll do part of it themselves, maybe the paint, maybe the lighting, whatever it might be, and the rest for the install of the cabinets, they'll hire a pro. And I don't, that doesn't seem that out there to me when we talk it through and we look at the numbers, but I'm not seeing that built in right now. There's a lot more upside than what people realize. I think all of our pro listeners just shudder because we know how much pro, they hate This is fascinating. <laughs> I totally agree. I think it makes a ton of sense. I just am imagining all the pros we've talked to that basically get called in when things have gone awry versus... They will have more business when more things go awry, for sure. getting called yeah. in just to take the next step. The other thing that I, I, I think we're seeing that really wasn't the case in the prior cycle is we're seeing all this institutional capital come in to force single family rental properties that they're planning on owning for a number of decades. There's several layers to where that leads, more home improvement spending, but also because if you believe that a thin inventory of homes will drive more home price appreciation, well, that group buys units of the inventory and doesn't have to relist any other unit. And they're allowing a lot of these builders to underwrite a lot larger communities too, because some of those those single family rental operators are buying new homes. So I don't see a lot of building product companies building that into their forecast, but we are because we we think it really matters and we see some of the deal flow coming in. So that that's the other thing I'd put out there that, that should at least be on the radar. It's true. I've I've been reading quite a bit about that, how a lot of PE and large investment companies are are pushing more into I mean, BlackRock has obviously been written about quite a bit and what they did in 2008. But do you think about where do you, where to put your money? There's cash flow, there's depreciation. And there's continuing, as you said, upward trend in, in value and rental rates too. It makes total sense. And that that's an opportunity because let's go, you know, when, when Invitation Homes was first formed, it was basically, I don't want to say a trade, but it was let's buy a bunch of distressed homes and get them, you know, occupied and leased up and then we'll we'll be out of. But now we're seeing a lot of these investors, you know, including that one, buy homes for the long haul. And at our event, we heard the CEO of Invitation Homes, so they own 80,000 homes, basically plead with us to say, you know, please, manufacturers, help us figure out a way every seven years, every eight years, how do we update the cabinets, the fence, the countertop? Because, you know, this is a six-figure resident in terms of the amount of income that they have. They don't have to rent. They're choosing to rent. Uh, and we want to make sure that we can continue to grow. So that's going to be a part of the pie that's going to get more, it's going to get larger and more important that just wasn't on on the radar of building product companies five years ago, but it's it's definitely there now. That's great. Todd, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fascinating as always. Really interesting. For our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Reach out on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to connect, Todd Tomalak. And then my email also, uh, you can go to our website at Real Estate Consulting. Send me a note, happy to connect too. Perfect. Todd, thanks again, man. And for our listeners, if you like this content, make sure you go to venvio.com slash podcast to subscribe and get more of it. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks everybody. 